Hi, my name is Trevor O'Keefe, and I'm the pastor at Olive Branch Christian Fellowship. We're a Jesus-loving Bible church who are committed to studying the words of Jesus, walking in the ways of Jesus, and partnering in the mission of Jesus. Thanks for joining us on that journey today. This is John 20, 19 through 22. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. You know, as Trevor was talking about how when we encounter moments like this where we think about maybe death or the loss of those close to us, he said, you know, this often gives us time to reevaluate our own lives and think about what that means for us in light of eternity. And I like those words because as Christians, we know that our faith is not just about a get to heaven kind of card. You guys remember, I haven't been played Monopoly in a long time, but you remember those get out of jail free cards, right? And I always appreciated getting those uh, get out of jail free card early because if you went to jail, you had a get out of jail free card. And I think the mistake is that we can think of Christianity as simply a get out of jail free card or I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. And it's so much more than that, isn't that? Isn't it? It's just so much more than a get out of hell card, so to speak. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright wrote, A massive assumption has been made in Western Christianity that the purpose of being a Christian is simply, or at least mainly, to go to heaven when you die. That's, that's, that's not it. That's not the full story. And you know, and I know, as, as followers of Jesus, there is abundant life that we get to experience now, and we look forward to our time in heaven with Jesus. So like Trevor said, we started this mini-series last week. Uh, Trevor introduced this short series that picks up where we left off in the Gospel of Mark. So we've been trucking through Mark. I think it's, Trevor says, taken 53 weeks or so. And just a couple weeks ago, we finished the book of Mark. And Mark, the Gospel of Mark, leaves off somewhat abruptly right after the resurrection of Jesus. And if you didn't hear the message about the end of Mark, the last chapter of Mark, Trevor's teaching on Mark 16 uh, from August 21st, it's called The Cutting Room Floor. It's worth your time to go back and listen because it gives you an appreciation for God's revealed word and the confidence that we can have in our scripture in front of us. But he also talked about the tension that Mark leaves us in and how he kind of leaves us on the edge of our seats, pregnant with expectation and questions about what a resurrected Savior means for us and for the world. So last week we started this short four-week series that picks up on the story of those first days and weeks right after the resurrection of Jesus, the first days of the early church. 
And in this series, well, it'll help us answer the questions, so what happens next? Right? If you've gone to the movies lately at all, it seems like all the big, um, the big movie companies, they're always leaving you hanging because they want to sell more tickets for the next movie they have coming out, right? So there's always these cliffhangers, so you have to go see the next movie, et cetera, et cetera. But Mark kind of leaves us like that where, okay, to be continued, so what happens next? So in this series, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at several different encounters and stories from the very early days of the church, these different vignettes from Scripture that will help us answer the question, okay, what now? In answering that, we're going to find implications for God's continued work. What that means for the church, capital C, the global church, what he's doing to rescue a broken world. But we also find in it what we believe God is doing for us as Olive Branch, a small but loved local expression of God's global church for this moment in history. And this is translated into four values for our church, or another way we often talk about it is four targets that we're aiming at. Uh, These are perspective, mission, community, and discipleship. So as a little spoiler alert, last week was perspective. You can probably figure out what we're going to talk about today, and then also figure out what we're going to talk about in the next two weeks. But last week, Trevor talked us through perspective, having a renewed thinking of who God is, who we are, and the world around us. And he mentioned that all believers everywhere have as our goal likeness to Christ. That's the goal of every Christian, likeness to Christ. When we talk about what that looks like for us, Olive Branch Christian Fellowship, to do that, we have these four pillars, right? These core values to both prioritize and structure ourselves around. This isn't something new. You should have already, you've probably already seen some of these things, if not all of these, play out in the life of our church and how we do things here. But it's moments like this, when we can spend time talking about these core values, we can spend time talking about them and help our understanding of how we function as a church. Help us to find common language for what we do and, how, and reaffirm why we do the things we do. Right? Reaffirm why we do certain things and don't do certain things. Why we do home groups. Home groups is a big part of this church. You heard from one of our home group leaders, Marissa, read the passage this morning. Why do we have home groups? Why we don't have things, right? Like any, you know, I love soccer. How come we don't have a soccer ministry? You know, why not? I got to bring that up with the elders. But it get, provides this grid for us to look through. If, and if we know what we're aiming at, we can prayerfully be better stewards of what God has given us as a church and more rooted in our identity as God's people and more about the king's business. The hope is that a series like this translates into a greater sense of our parts, right? This small expression of God's global church here in Poway, California, United States, right? What is our part in every church's mission of loving God and loving people? So if you weren't able to join us last weekend, like Trevor said, it was a little bit funky last weekend because we were at a different place at a different time. It was a little bit weird. But it was cool, literally. There was AC there, so it was great. Um, I would ask that you'd go back, listen to last week's message online because it's the beginning of this four-week series, and Trevor talks about perspective. 
as this, in this series, we talk about our unfolding story as God's people. And though we might be just a, a drop in the bucket of God's global work, we are, we are a local expression of God's love and commitment to a dying world. It's also good if you're new to Olive Branch or you're just checking us out, this is, you came at the right time to kind of hear about some of the things that we're about. But last week took us to Luke 24 with two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. And they were joined by Jesus at that time, but scripture says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They were walking with him, but didn't know who he was. And these two disciples, they were beside themselves with loss and dismay and bewilderment because they just had their life come crashing down on them. The one whom they thought to be the savior of the world was just killed on a cross and put in a tomb. This was the, that story takes place in the day of the resurrection, but it, they still hadn't dared to believe that Jesus had been resurrected. They had heard these rumors that the tomb was empty, but their hearts couldn't fathom the victory over sin, death, and the enemy that Jesus had accomplished that time, that day. But then Jesus joins them on their journey. What a beautiful little picture there. Jesus joins them in their place of hopelessness and dismay. And he walks them through scripture, it says, in what was probably the best Bible study ever given, right? Jesus walking you through scripture, revealing that it had all always been all about him. And he opened their eyes, right? He opened their eyes, and from that moment on, everything was different for them. Everything was different. Not only did he answer the question of who he was and what he was going to do, but he opened their eyes about what it meant for them as followers of Jesus. He all of a sudden places them in the the greatest story the world has ever known. He provides them with their true identity and real, their true selves about who they are in God. Jesus renewed their way of thinking about who God is, who they are, and about the world around them. And for us, this idea of renewed thinking about God ourselves in the world is is captured in our value of perspective, which we talked about last week. Renewed thinking, where everything centers around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that renewed thinking changes how we see ourselves and how we see the world. Trevor mentioned last week that there's a, a sameness to what we do here every Sunday. If you're there, you remember this, that Our time of teaching every week, in the end, is always about the beauty of Jesus and his great grace for us. It's always about renewing our perspective. Trevor said that he pretty much teaches the same message every week, week in and week out. While it might be the same message week in and week out, we certainly find some new ways to say it, don't we? But we need it, right? We need that realignment. We are, as the ancient hymn says, prone to wander. We are in need of constant reminder of who God is and who we are. Because our natural tendency is is to have a wrong perspective, to have a wrong thinking about that, is to pull away from a renewed thinking. Romans 7.18 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. The Apostle Paul said that. The Apostle Paul, who wrote practically one-third of the New Testament, 
That's from Romans, which is probably the clearest and most systematic presentation of the Christian doctrine in all of Scripture, which was written by Paul. And Paul is saying, there's nothing good in my flesh. There's nothing good in my flesh. The Apostle Paul says that. There's definitely true of us, right? We need our perspective realigned. And I'll tell you this, not just on Sundays, not just on Sundays, but constantly, right? If we're not constantly realigning ourselves with how Christ sees us, who he is, and how we should view the world, we're drifting. That means for us, you know, we need to be spending time with Jesus every day. We need to be reading our Bibles. We need to be praying. We need to be praying, Lord, don't let me be conformed by the pattern of this world, but let me be transformed by the renewing of my mind, right? We need to pray that. We need to be in our Bibles to have our perspective aligned with Christ. So just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we continually need our eyes opened. You might think that those two disciples, they should have figured it out, right? They had walked, they'd been following Jesus. They had seen Jesus uh, do miracles. They'd seen his ministry. They had heard all his teaching firsthand. You would assume that out of anybody, they would have gotten it, right? Yet they needed their eyes opened. When that happened, everything for them changed. Everything for them changed from that moment on. When God renews our way of thinking, everything changes. He changes our purpose. He changes our relationships. He changes our very lives. And the more our perspective is renewed, the more we are led to jump headlong into God's purpose in this world. We just can't help it. And that's what happened to the early disciples. That's what happened to the early disciples. Recall the beginning chapters of the book of Acts, right? This small group of believers there in Israel. And all of a sudden, we see this explosive growth of the church because these people had their purpose renewed by having their hearts aligned with Christ. And here we are 2,000 years later, sitting in Painted Rock Elementary School, right? A part of that story, thousands of miles away from where it began, having our perspective renewed by Christ and joining in to God's grand story. And that leads us to this morning's passage in John 20. This encounter that we're reading here happens chronologically just after the road to Emmaus, where those two disciples met with Jesus. If you recall, the two disciples Jesus met on the road, once their eyes were open, they turned back around and headed back to Jerusalem to find the disciples and tell them what had happened. They found the disciples in a locked room, and that's where our encounter begins. Let me read it again for you. This is John 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The critical line for us this morning is in verse 21, where Jesus says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. With our thinking, our understanding, our identity renewed, we are then renewed in our purpose as followers of Christ. We see here that 
the disciples are commissioned with a renewed sense of who they are and their role in the world. Although Jesus finds them locked in a room and afraid, that is not who he commissions them to be. And I love this little detail that we find here in this passage about the room being locked, right? And then Jesus suddenly, bam, appearing in their midst. And I love that. Certainly that little detail of the room being locked adds to the miracle of Jesus suddenly appearing. But I think it also gives us kind of the tone of the disciples in that moment, the dismay they must have felt, right? Where their hearts were at when all of a sudden Jesus appears in their midst. Last week, we had heard that the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the disciples at that time, they were, they were expecting a different Messiah than the one that showed up, right? They were expecting a Messiah who would set everything right. They wanted the white horse of revelation. They wanted Jesus to be riding in on the caballo blanco, right, with the eyes of fire, a robe dipped in blood, and a fat tattoo on his thigh that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who the disciples wanted at that time. And yet, Jesus shows up, and instead they're greeted by a suffering servant who would go to a cross to die for them and shed his blood for them. Right? Their whole worldview was thrown off. It wasn't who they were expecting. But now their hearts, after Jesus opened their eyes, alight with understanding. They see Jesus came as a suffering servant to reconcile us to God through his life, death, and resurrection, and will come again as a ruling king to set everything right. But what now? The disciples' whole theological paradigm have been rocked, and they find themselves in this tension, right? God's kingdom is here, but not here fully. What does that mean? How are we supposed to live? Jesus shows up in their midst and says, peace, peace then as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. They are sent by Jesus as God the Father had sent him. And it's important to note that before the people of God were ever commissioned or sent by Jesus into the world, God was already sending himself. The sending did not begin with the church, it began with God. And that's a, that's a critical distinction for us, that it was First, an attribute of God before it was ever an activity of the people, right? It was an attribute of God first. So sent for what? What was Jesus sent for? What were they sent for? Sent to be agents of reconciliation. Sent to be foretastes of the kingdom of God. Jesus was sent to reconcile all people to himself for the culmination of his kingdom. It's for that same purpose that they are sent. It's for that same mission. Our purpose, our hard purpose as Olive Branch is renewed. We're talking about the mission of God, the missio dei in Latin. And we use Latin because it just sounds cool, right? The missio dei, the mission of God. When we say missio dei, we are talking about the sending of God. It's God's mission. It's not missio church. It's God's mission, missio dei. A German theologian said, it is not the church that has a mission of salvation to fulfill in the world. It is the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church. It's a very part of the triune nature of God. It's in his very nature because we know that God is love, 1 John 4. 1 John 4 says, God is love, and it's in the 
it is in the nature of love to go outside of itself to be other-centered, others-oriented. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, Mere Christianity, how that phrase, God is love, really has no meaning outside of a Trinitarian view of God. God's very nature is missional. It's first seen in creation and then in the redeeming and renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. So stay with me. In Genesis, we see God going out of himself, extending himself into the world and the creation of the world to whom he sends his son to redeem humanity in creation through his life, death, and resurrection. We get this from verses like uh, John 3.17, just after the famous John 3.16. says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Or 1 John 4.9, which is coincidentally just after the God is love verse, that says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. It's not just there, though. It's John 3.16, like I mentioned. It's John 5. It's John 6. It's Galatians 4. God sent his son into the world. The mission, extent, the mission of God extended into the world through creation and then through sending of his son into the world and then through the Holy Spirit sent. Right, The Holy Spirit is sent into the world to equip and empower the church. That's us. To equip and empower the church. John 14.26 This is uh, Jesus saying, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. We see this in John 15 and in Acts 2.23, where the Holy Spirit is sent. And after all of that sending from the very character of God, then the church, God's people are sent. As one author puts it, God's mission precedes, initiates, defines, and sustains our mission. It's not There is not mission because there is church. There is church because there is mission already. God is on mission, and God's people are brought into that. God the Father sent the Son. The Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. Now the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are sending his people. Not just, And we don't read about it just here in John 20, our passage for today, but you guys are familiar with the Great Commission, right? Or the high priestly prayer in John 17 where Jesus is sending us out. Also in the book of Acts, we see it. We see um, Paul and Silas sent out to in uh, Acts 14 by God through the Holy Spirit. And it's critically important that we understand that mission begins with the nature of God. Why? Because we're messed up people, right? We're broken people and we're likely to get it wrong. Because as broken humans, we can look to other motivations that will inevitably fall short of the fullness of what we are invited into. You know, I for a long time, um, I did youth ministry along with my wife. And I remember one time walking into church and seeing somebody wearing a shirt that said, uh, what part of go don't you understand? Referencing Matthew 28, where it says, go and make disciples. Now, uh, it said, what part of go don't you understand? And I kind of disagree with the underlying assumption that we are involved in missions simply because We're told to. So hear me out for a second. Basing our missional motivations only on commands doesn't paint the full picture, right? Attempting to live our life on mission simply because there's words that tell us to, the commands of the Bible can lean us towards legalism where we're doing it because we're told to do it. Let me give you an example. I have a six-year-old son. His name's Crosby. 
loves soccer, just like me. I think I might have had an influence on him. Took him to soccer practice on Tuesday. It was like 100 degrees here in Poway on Tuesday. We live in Escondido. It's like 150 degrees in Escondido. Uh, took him to soccer practice. He comes home. He's literally just dripping sunscreen and sweat just all over the place. And I said, Crosby, go take a shower. Why? Because I told you, go take a shower, right? I'm your dad. I told you to go do it. As a parent, don't you think it is more prosperous for my son's long-term hygiene potential if I explain why he should go take a shower, right? Yes, he needs to be obedient. I'm his father, and I'm telling him to do something. But if I take a moment to explain hey, you're going to get your bed just disgusting after this, and then every time you go to sleep, it's going to be horrible, and you smell bad, go take a shower. That adds a richness that provides the fuller picture for him. Let me give you another example. Like, the Bible tells us to love one another, and we should, because the Bible tells us. But don't you think it's richer to know that we are commanded that based on the very character of God who himself loved us in spite of all of our messed up things, right? That when we realize that, when we, when, the, when we read the Bible and it says, love one another or love your enemies, and we think, man, yeah, God loved me. In spite of all my messed up things, in spite of all the brokenness in me, God loved me. Yes, that, that's so much richer than when I, to love other people. Mission based on command only can turn to legalism. Another motivation that can fall short for us is mission based on the plight of humanity. The needs of this world are always going to be present, and they will always overwhelm us. A missional motivation based on worldly needs alone results in humanism, attaching greater importance to human matters than the divine. It's a a perversion of God's worthiness. Needs provide us the opportunity, but not the motivation. And to be clear, both of these are true, right? Human needs exist. And we are to have our hearts broken by the brokenness of the world and longing to step in. And scripture commands us to be on mission and we need to be obedient to scripture. But they can fall short of the glorious invitation into the Missio Dei where God is on mission. That's his very character. Both are responses to what should be done. One driven by a sense of compassion, the other a sense of obligation. A deeper motivation is one based on image, on the image of God. It is based on God's nature and in harmony with our renewed nature while still embracing compassion and still embracing obedience. Doing things with God, not just for people, but with God. God's mission is his reconciliation of all peoples to himself for the culmination of his kingdom. And that's what God's church, which includes us, Olive Branch, as a local expression, that's what we are invited into. This is captured in our value of mission, right? That's why we have perspective, we have mission, we also have community discipleship, but our value of mission. And what do we mean by mission? We're not talking necessarily just about an activity or a program of our church, but it's a way of living as the church for us. We're not talking about just evangelism. It's bigger than just evangelism. It's not just about how we do church, our ecclesiology, but it's how we be the church in a broken world. 
And this is not some new methodology for a post-Christian world to get more people into the pews. No, it's always been God's heart for his people. We're also not talking about missions, right? Although that's definitely a part of the Missio Day. You might recall last time I was up here in July, I talked more specifically about missions, evangelism that takes the gospel across ethnic or linguistic or cultural barriers, right? Missions is the intentional crossing of those boundaries, cultural, linguistic, uh, for the sake of the gospel. This is what we read about in 3 John and 1 Corinthians. Certainly, missions is a part of the Missio Dei, but it's important to note the difference. And you've probably heard the term missionary, sent one, used to refer to all Christians in the sense that we are all sent into the world as witnesses. Well, I don't really disagree with the sentiment of that statement or using the term missionary for all Christians, but I do think that using it too freely detracts from the sacrificial call of those who are actually going across cultures to take the gospel. I agree that we're all sent ones, right? That's in our very passage this morning, John 20. But I try not to use that term to describe me talking to my neighbor about Jesus. When we speak of mission, we're talking about God's big picture, his unstoppable, redemptive plan to reconcile the whole world. For us, it occurs both in our culture and across our culture, across cultural lines, with our neighbor, our workplace, the school we go to, all of that. It is it's us participating in the expansion of the kingdom of God. It is us partnering with his unfolding redemptive plan for a broken world. It is us longing to see God's work of reconciling all peoples to himself. It's the unfolding story we see uh, with the gospel of Mark and still unfolding today through all of Branch Christian Fellowship. It is Jesus saying to you and to me, even so, I am sending you. When we say we have mission as one of our values, we're not saying it's something we do, like expository teaching or kids ministry, but a reflection of the nature of our nature as a church because it is a reflection of the very character of God. Understanding our missional nature as God's people changes everything. Changes how you read your Bible, right? It changes how you spend your free time. It changes how you view your neighborhood, how you view your coworker, how we approach encounters with people at the line in Trader Joe's, right? It changes all those things. It changes how we view what we do here on Sundays when we gather. As in a characteristic of who we are, it changes what success looks like for us on a Sunday. For us, the success of our church is not based upon what we say, what we sing, or what we do here on Sunday. Rather, our success as a church is based on what we do when we leave this gathering and engage with the world. Gathering on Sunday is not our end goal. This isn't like the, the high point. Oh yeah, we made it here on Sunday. Good for us. No, we gather so we can be better equipped to effectively scatter into our surrounding community to be expression of God, to be an expression of God's kingdom in a broken world. Success on Sunday is measured by how well equipped we are on a Monday. And how do we do that? How do we do that? What does that all mean? Looking at John 2019, we are presented with an implied question, right? If we are sent as Jesus was, well, then the implied question is, okay, well, how was Jesus sent? To understand how we are sent, we need to look at how Jesus was sent, which gives us a model for mission. 
And this, is a, this idea is also seen in Jesus' prayer for his disciples. We mentioned this earlier, John 17, 18, where Jesus prays to the Father, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them, the disciples, into the world. We are sent as Jesus in the very act of being sent, but in the way he was sent. So how was he sent? We could spend long time talking about the life and ministry of Jesus, but I wanted to highlight five ways in which Jesus was sent so that that I, that I think are beneficial to us uh, today. Jesus was sent from God for reconciliation into the world to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to break those down. The first two, from God and for reconciliation, are reminders of the who and the why we are sent. We've already been circling around those and talking about those already. The next three answer the questions of where, what, and how. The first two, the who and the why, the who we are sent, Jesus was sent from God. Jesus was sent in perfect obedience and union with the Father. John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Not only did uh, did Jesus do what the Father wanted to do, but he was in perfect obedience and union with the Father. And he did only what God led him to do. I'm reminded of the story of Jesus at the pools of Bethesda. I think it's John 4. Right, where the people would gather, those who were disabled, the people used to lie there, wait for the stirring of the waters. And from that story in scripture, we see Jesus, as far as we know, just heal one person. And no doubt they're surrounded by many, right? He was in perfect obedience to his father, only doing the father's will. No doubt the needs were great right, in that story. No doubt the area was full of people who needed Jesus's healing touch, but he was only there to do the will of the one who sent him. Jesus was in perfect union with the Father, and that established Jesus's then paradigm for him commissioning his disciples. Uh, If you think back to when Trevor was teaching on Mark 3, I don't remember. Yeah, good luck. I don't know, 2008 or something. Um, there's this beautiful little verse that I love, Mark 3.14. It says, uh, talking about Jesus, he appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And notice that beautiful sequence there, right? That they would be with him first and then sent out. And it's a beautiful picture of how ministry must flow from intimacy with Christ, from withness. It's not they go out and do a bunch of things and then they come back to Jesus. No, they're first with Jesus and then they're sent out. So here's the application question. And I'm going to be sending these questions out to our home group leaders this week. Here's the application question. Are we close to Jesus? Are we listening to his leading real talk? Are you spending time with Jesus every day? When's the last time you read your Bible? Jesus first was sent from God. Second, he was sent for reconciliation. We already talked about this. This is the why we are sent. It's obvious, but Jesus was sent with a purpose, right? This is why when our perspective is renewed, we gain a renewed sense of purpose. Luke 19 says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost, right? That's reconciliation. Jesus was sent for reconciliation, for the expansion of his rule and reign on the earth. 
And we are sent into the world as then reconcilers as well. This is captured in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay, that's identity. That's perspective. And then verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The application question, do we understand why we come to church? Do we understand why we come to church? I'll let you discuss that in your home groups this week. All right, from God, Jesus was sent from God for reconciliation. Now into the where, what, and how. Number, he was sent into the world, the where. Jesus was sent into the world. Again, this sounds really obvious, but it's an important thing to note. We go back to 1 John 4, 9 again. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his son into the world, into the world so that we might live through him. Or the first chapter of John where it says, and the word speaking of Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this verse that says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood right? Moved into the neighborhood. God didn't remain in heaven and execute his plan from there, but sent his son into the world to identify and be with us. That means we don't stay in our church walls, hoping the best for the world out there. No, we go out. That means no holy huddles. You can't just be around Christians your whole life, right? Here's the application question. Are you friends with non-Christians? Are you friends with non-Christians? Or at least acquaintances? With people who need Jesus? And if you don't, if you aren't, then here's the first step. And it's simple. Know people's names. Know people's names. It's so simple. But that's the first step. Know people's names, your coworkers, your neighbors. And Honestly, I'm terrible at this. My wife can attest this. I'm terrible. So when I came to church here for the first time and saw everyone's doing name tags, I'm like, yes. Yes and amen. <laughs> I love that. We used to have on the side of our fridge, I drew out a little map of our street. And every time I would meet one of our neighbors, I'd put their name on that piece of paper because I knew I was going to forget them, their names. So then I'd have the whole you know, neighborhood written out all their names. Because I'll tell you what, not knowing someone's name restricts every subsequent interaction with that person, right? If you don't know their name and you're like three months into a relationship with them, you're never moving beyond just like, hey, how you doing? Okay, right? If you want gospel conversations, start with knowing people's names. Jesus was sent from God for reconciliation into the world. The what of how Jesus was sent? Jesus was sent to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. We put those two together on purpose, right? That's the preaching and the showing of the gospel. Again, at the beginning of Mark, we see Jesus going out, teaching in the synagogue, and then casting out demons, preaching the gospel, and then demonstrating the gospel. This is also Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, talking about speaking the message with demonstration of the spirit and of power. It's Colossians 3.17 and says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's us proclaiming the gospel, the good news. Mark 1.14 says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. 
It takes words with us to proclaim the gospel of God. Romans 10 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him, on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Right? How are people to believe unless they hear about the good news that we have a resurrected Savior? It takes words. The application question for that is, can you explain to someone why you are a Christian? If you were to talk to your coworker and they found out, oh, you went to church, I'm like, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe in God? Can you verbalize that? why you believe in God in a way that would make sense to them, in a way that demonstrates the goodness and the glory of God. Can you answer the question, what it means to be a Christian, right? Or have a Christian response to your neighbors or your coworkers or whoever when they wonder how a good God can allow bad things to happen, right? Today's September 11th. And a lot of people had those kind of questions. Do we, as ministers of reconciliation, are we able to speak truth into those moments? Right? This, this is a, a reminder that we constantly need our perspective renewed. Right? Sunday, this is Sundays, this is meeting in our home groups to discuss, but this is also praying and reading scripture. And it's not just proclamation, it's also demonstration. We are called to be a foretaste of God's kingdom, right? An appetizer, I love appetizers. To be an appetizer of the kingdom of God. A taste of the future in the present. What good is our message if we're not embodying it to a lost world? It's not enough just to tell others about Jesus if there's, if there's not consistent witness in our actions and in what we do. We need to show others Jesus. This is what is often meant by the term incarnational ministry. It's identifying with the lost and embodying our beliefs. The Bible tells us that God cares about human suffering. God cares about human suffering. Jesus was full of compassion for humans, for those that were suffering. The author Amy DiMarcangelo writes this about God's compassion for those that are suffering as she goes through the Psalms and Proverbs. She says, He carefully knits every human being into existence and treasures every unborn child, Psalm 139. He is a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows, Psalm 68. He watches over the sojourner, which in our times can mean immigrant, migrant, asylum seeker, refugee, Psalm 146. He hears the cry of the poor, Psalm 102. And his fury rises at their abuse, Proverbs 17. His compassion stretches those to those who face hunger and persecution and to those degraded because of their disability or ethnicity, Psalm 146. And we are called to imitate him. We are called to imitate him. I said earlier that needs don't motivate us alone, but they do provide the opportunity to expose a broken world to a resurrected Savior. So here's the application question for that. Who can you offer to help? Who can you offer to help? And oftentimes, if we're to think about that question and wonder, you know, why we are not maybe jumping in when we see the needs of those around us, when we get to the bottom of that, we can't help but be challenged by how that is really asking us questions of how we're spending our time or our talent or our treasure, right? That's what it comes down to. 
How are we going to do that? And it deserves some self-reflection on us. How are we going to be demonstrating? Who can we offer to help? Who needs a demonstration of the gospel in their life? Lastly, how was Jesus sent? And we need to look no further than the end of today's passage. Verse 22 says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. We are sent on mission with the Holy Spirit. We are not left alone to our own strength, our own devices. Jesus has sent us his helper. And how does the Holy Spirit equip us for mission? The Holy Spirit teaches us, John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. As someone who's getting increasingly more forgetful, I love that passage, that the Holy Spirit's going to bring into remembrance all those things. The Holy Spirit reveals to us the things of God, reveals to us wisdom. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, 1 Corinthians 2. The Holy Spirit empowers us for mission. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and the very ends of the earth. In Luke's account, Luke has an account of this very story we're reading, where Jesus appears to his disciples in a locked room. And Luke adds these words of Jesus, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay, into the, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, speaking of the Pentecost coming. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts, which are given to help equip the people of God to enable them to set on display the glory of God. We see these most notably in 1 Corinthians 12. These are the gift of faith, the gifts of healing, gift of administration, prophecy, words of knowledge, tongues, discernment. And in that passage, Paul reminds us that we are all part of one body, but have different gifts and different parts to play in that, but all of equal value to set on display the glory of God. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray when we are too weak to pray. Romans 8.26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Application question. Are you dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Right? Think about the times where you walk into the office or the classroom or wherever, or even a family gathering, and you see somebody that, man, they need Jesus in their life. A quick prayer, Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me, empower me to both speak and show your gospel. Right? Are we dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Our passage ends with verse 22, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Note the connection of this passage in John, where Jesus breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit, to that all the way in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2, where God breathed the breath of life on them. And even the Hebrew word for spirit, some of you know it, it's ruach. Okay, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but I did work hard this week. Ruach. Right? That word, that Hebrew word, carries the idea of wind and breath. And even so, in its very enunciation, it's kind of like one of those automatopoeia, whatever that word is, automatopoeia or something? Yeah, you got me. Right? Where you say it and it even sounds like it, ruach, spirit, breath. 
While that first breath was a creation of life, this moment here in Jesus with the disciples is a recreation. The disciples were given new life, new purpose. We're reminded of it again in Acts 2, where Pentecost, uh, the scene of Pentecost, where the disciples are gathered and all of a sudden they hear the sound like the mighty rushing of the wind before the Holy Spirit falls on them in tongues of fire. Right? When, when our thinking, when our perspective is transformed, when we have a renewed understanding of who God is, who we are in the world around us, we are then thrust headlong into the story that God is writing. One of his expanding kingdom that's been happening since the creation. That now we get to be a part of it. Of him setting everything right. And man, there's so many things that need to be set right in our world. Our world needs a savior. A renew, it gives us a renewed mission of purpose empowered by God himself, by the Spirit of God himself. Our purpose is renewed, and we are invited into God's mission. We are invited into God's mission, the best Evite you've ever gotten in your whole life, right? You're invited into God's mission. What a glorious invitation we have. And guess what? We are not invited alone but that's for next week. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who did not remain in heaven, but sent your son to earth, draped in humanity, to reconcile us to you. Jesus came to seek and to save us, those who were lost. Lord, thank you for that. And now, Father, we have this glorious purpose a renewed purpose to be a part of what you are doing in a broken world. We recognize that we are just a small part of it, God. Here in this little part, in this little corner of San Diego, God, we are a part of that, but Lord, what a beautiful thing to step into. God, so I pray for us, I pray for myself, that as we go into this week, that you would enable us to step into what you are doing in our world in our communities, our workplaces, our schools, wherever we may be, in our families, God. Lord, give us your heart. Give us your heart of compassion for the lost. Thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to empower us and lead us that you might receive the glory. Lord, we thank you. We honor you. Thank you again for listening to the Olive Branch Christian Fellowship Podcast. For more information about our church, go to olivebranchcf.org.